0: listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Once upon a time, there was a monk who traveled the world looking for the secret to a life of contentment. He sought out all of the wealthiest and most powerful people he could find, only to discover that they were each as miserable as the next. Concluding that his quest was a failure, he decided to go home. As he journeyed, he came upon a rock quarry. Inside there were three stonecutters, each hard at work. He approached the first stonecutter, a young man who was working at a furious pace with sweat pouring down his furrowed brow. "'What are you doing?' asked the monk." He answered, "'I'm cutting stones.' "'For what purpose?' "'Because I'm trying to earn enough money "'to purchase a home for my family.' And with that, the young man returned immediately to his work. The monk then approached a second worker, who was older than the last and working much more methodically. He leaned closely over a large stone, peering down its edge with a pained expression on his face. Again, the monk asked, "'What are you doing?' And again, the answer came, I'm cutting stones. When asked why, the second stonecutter answered, Because I was apprenticed by an expert mason, and I want to be the very best in all of the land. Now, if you'll excuse me, this angle is not quite right. So the monk left him to his craft. Finally, the monk approached the third and final stonecutter. This one was older than the others. His hands were knotted by a long life of hard work. His face, however, was lined not only by age, but by the smile he wore as he worked. "'What are you doing?' asked the traveler. The stonecutter stopped and looked up at the traveler. He laughed delightedly as though he had been waiting his whole life to be asked this question. He proudly answered, "'I am building a cathedral.'" The monk, confused by this answer, asked, What cathedral? Where? Oh, chuckled the stonecutter, it's not built yet. Neither will it be built in my lifetime nor my children's. But one day, these stones will be a house of worship for my grandchildren. It is for them that I build it. The monk went on his way, feeling a little less like his search had been a failure.
1: I really love that story of the three stonecutters, and we'll be coming back to it in just a minute. Today, our scripture passage comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. And in this passage, Peter uses several metaphors to describe the church, the people of God. One of them is living stones, and another is a royal priesthood. Those are the two that I'd like to focus on today. Living stones is an interesting phrase, I think. It's not quite an oxymoron, but it's close. So they're not opposite, it's not like living and dead, but living stones. I mean, stones don't live. I love oxymorons when two words, you know, that are opposite are stuck together. The classical examples being jumbo shrimp or plastic glasses. One of my favorite is Microsoft Works. I always think that's funny. I'm an Apple guy. When I was talking about uh, oxymorons earlier this week with Mikkel, he said one of his favorites were uh, was Dodge Ram. It took me a second to actually get that one. Dodge Ram. Which one is it going to be? Pretty funny. Living stones, though. What an interesting phrase to describe the church. Paul will also use an oxymoron to describe us in Romans. He says that we should present ourselves as living sacrifices. What an odd phrase. I mean, sacrifices by definition are not alive. They've been sacrificed. So a living sacrifice, it just really begs us to kind of ponder the idea. In fact, crucified Messiah would have struck just about everyone in the first century as an oxymoron. Everyone knew what the Messiah was, the anointed king, the deliverer, the savior. but crucified Messiah? I mean, even a a killed Messiah or a dead Messiah wouldn't have made sense, but a crucified Messiah would have made absolutely no sense at all. Of course, it makes sense to us because we know the story. We know the story of of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. It is the central part of our story. It's what we celebrate in this kind of Easter season, and it is the central part of what we mean when we say celebrate and be celebrated. We are celebrating the resurrection and the abundant life, the resurrected life that is provided for us because of that. But let's go back to Peter and see what he's talking about when he refers to us as living stones. Our passage comes again in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter says that Jesus is, is the living stone. And then he says that we are also living stones. It's a metaphor for the temple. It's this idea that the people of God are are shaped, are formed, are uh, conditioned by being with Jesus, that Jesus was the stone that had been rejected, and that that rejected stone became the cornerstone for God's new plan, for God's people. And so it's this idea that uh, each of us are a stone that is made up into the temple. This is why we opened with the tale of the three stone cutters. So there's that, that first one who's just cutting a stone. And then there's the other fellow who's just kind of getting paid, trying to make a living, but he's not really into his work. And then there's the last one, of course, who, who sees further. He sees that he's part of a larger project. He sees that he's not just cutting a stone or making a living that he is part of this forever kind of long team, this group of people that are building a cathedral. So this idea that for Peter, that we are becoming stones that make up the temple really begs the question, because it domesticates the actual physical temple that was in Jerusalem. You see, in good kind of second temple Jewish fashion, there was only one temple, or at least only one temple in any given time. Solomon had built the temple, but it had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The temple had been rebuilt by Zerubbabel, but then it was desecrated and then rededicated. We talked about that last week in the Feast of Dedication. And then it had been refurbished by Herod the Great. This temple, the temple built by Zerubbabel and kind of refurbished by Herod, It's sometimes referred to as the second temple, but it was the one and only temple of of the Jewish God that was on the planet. And so early on, even before Jesus, there were Pharisees that started to kind of question the centrality of the temple. They domesticated in ways. There's one Pharisee, his name was Hillel, and he said this. He said, where two people read and obey the Torah, that God is with them. And you can hear in that, this, or you hear an echo of that anyway, in in the words of Jesus, where he says, where two or three people gather in my name, I'm in their midst. Jesus is, is part of that kind of Jewish tradition that was starting to kind of question the sacrificial system and the centrality of the temple. There was ways in which it kind of started to serve its purpose, and though with Jesus, its very existence had become redundant. We see this in the words of Jesus when he he makes the claim that in three days he's going to tear down the temple, or excuse me, he's going to tear down the temple and then in three days build it back up. Of course, if he's referring to the physical temple in Jerusalem, that makes no sense. But we understand that to be kind of a reference to his own body. So we see in the life of Jesus, he's starting to kind of suggest that the the dwelling place of God is not reducible to to any building, not even the temple itself. And we see that Jesus starts to talk about his followers, not just calling them a temple, but rather calling them a church, those who have been called out, those who have been called to rally around him. This is actually another Peter story. In Matthew, we find this this passage in Matthew 16, where Jesus is saying to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And some say that he's John the Baptist and some say Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter kind of speaks up for the group and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, Simon. And I will call you Peter, you are a rock because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's an amazing thing to say. He's saying, he's saying to Simon, Simon, you're, you're a foundation stone. You're, you're a rock. And I'm going to build my church. This is very important, friends. The church is not my church it's not your church. Ultimately, the church belongs to Jesus. It's Jesus's church, and he's the one who builds it. Jesus builds his church, and he builds it with people, and Peter was one of the first that he started to build it with. Sometimes when I hear this passage of scripture talked about, it's as though People think, you know, the world's getting worse and worse, and obviously we could feel like that now with the coronavirus and now these kind of deadly hornets or whatever that are attacking us. It seems as though things just might not ever get better, and that if we're going to be the church, we better hunker down. We better kind of close the doors, kind of come in and protect our own. And if we do so then perhaps the the gates of hell won't be able to get in and get us. We can stay protected and sequestered, and eventually God will just come and rescue us from all of this mess. Except that's not really the imagery that Matthew is presenting in that story. Matthew says that the church is kind of being built on Peter and upon this confession that Jesus is the Messiah. So the church itself is like Peter will say later, It's living stones. It's like Paul will say, it's a living sacrifice. That's the thing about a living sacrifice, is that it can get up off the altar. And that's the thing about living stones, is that they can move around. So that there's a new temple, and it's not a building in Jerusalem. It's the people of God. Again, the Apostle Paul will say something very similar to this in his letter to the Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, And I'll translate it here in a bit of a kind of southern colloquialism, to to let you understand kind of how uh, the pronouns are working in the sentence. Paul says, "Do you all not know that y'all's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit?" And so, there are times in which we imagine that, say, me individually, that I, Robbie, am a temple of the Holy Spirit and that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But first century Jews would not have thought that way. They didn't have this concept that there were lots of different temples. There were temples to other gods, but there was only one true temple. And that true temple was the building in Jerusalem. But Paul, kind of following the lead of Hillel and following the lead of Jesus, is picking up on this more domesticated idea That the true temple of God is not a building, but it's people. And so it's our body, meaning us together, that you and me and all of us who call upon the name of the Lord, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what I think Peter is doing when Peter says that we are living stones. It's a beautiful imagery. I just love it. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are living stones shaped and formed in the image of the living stone, our cornerstone. The other metaphor that Peter uses in this passage is he says that we are a royal priesthood. Now, I've heard this idea all my life, this idea of priesthood of all believers, and I often heard it kind of in relationship to kind of Protestants versus the Catholics. So that with the Catholics, you know, you had to go to your priest to kind of confess your sins. But as Protestants, we were a priesthood of believers, and so we didn't need anyone. We could just go directly, directly to God. We can confess our sins to God, and a priest was something we just didn't need. But I think that's really misunderstanding what's happening here. When Peter says that we are a royal priesthood, You shouldn't first think, oh, priest versus, say, Protestant minister, because it's not that he was saying we were going to be Catholic or Anglican or Episcopal. When Peter uses the term, I imagine that he thinks of priest as a priest in the Israelite Jewish faith. Who were the priests? Well, it was the tribe of Levi. And what did they do? Well, they took care of the temple. They Uh, administered the sacrifices. They were the representative of God to the people. They were the representative of the people to God. And that's their role. So what is it saying when Peter says that we are a royal priesthood, that we are a community of priests? Well, I think it doesn't mean that we can just do things on our own but it means that we can all function as priests. So there's three things I think that priests do, and this is something I like us to think about. The first thing, the first thing that the priests were responsible for, they were responsible for the physical care of the temple. They're the ones who administered things at the temple. They took care of it, they cleaned it, they made sure it was was, uh, well taken care of. Now, if we are all priests, and we are called to take care of the temple, then we have to remember what, or better yet, who is the temple? Well, he's already told us. He said that we are living stones. We are the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. And so as a royal priesthood, we are called to be caring one for another. It's as you care for other people. That you play your role as a priest in this holy nation, in this kingdom of God or this people of God. Now, caring for them can take all kind of shapes and forms. Uh, certainly, it's prayer, and this is this is one of the key things that priests did. Priests served as uh, intermediaries; they they served as intercessors for others, so that. The primary role of the priest is not just to go to God on behalf of the priest. The primary role of the priest is to go to God on behalf of others. And it's in that sense that I think we are a priesthood of believers. That we are calling out to God, asking God to intervene on behalf of other folk, of people that we love. Not that we're somehow giving God some good idea that he wouldn't have done otherwise, but rather that we offer thanksgiving and we offer praise and even our intercession, our our acts of petition are in a way training us to enter into God's goodness, that the good things that God is doing, the good things that God has planned, we're participating in that but we're not just doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for others because we are priests. Priests would also hear confessions. And that's an interesting thing that that we don't do very much. And I would want to kind of caution us maybe a bit on this. Like, we need to be careful when it comes to this. But when our sins are no longer kind of confessed to anyone, they kind of stay hidden. and in the, in the darkness, in the, in the hiddenness of them, they kind of maintain more power than they should. But when we have someone that we can trust, and that's important, we can, can confess our sins. James will say this. He says, "Is any of you sick? No. come, confess your sins, one another, one to another. Call for the elders of the church. Let them lay lay on hands and anoint with oil, and the the prayer of the righteous will avail much. This idea of confessing our sins to one another so that we're not in this alone. We don't don't necessarily need to go to the church to a, a priest, but we do need to know that we are all priests, and so therefore we all have this responsibility, the responsibility of caring for one another the responsibility of praying for one another, the responsibility of even, even bearing one another's burdens. One of my favorite authors is a man named Charles Williams. He taught English at Oxford University at the same time as C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and uh, Dorothy Sayers, all great writers, great novelists. And one of, one of Williams' book is called Descent Into Hell as a really, really dark character named Chatsworth, who just gets kind of worse and worse. But there's this interesting kind of theological idea that he plays with in the novel. Not unlike Lewis, who would often write fiction, but you can kind of see his his Christianity kind of just kind of beaming through his fiction. Williams suggests this idea. So we all know this idea of kind of we're to bear one another's burdens. But Williams suggests that in a very real way, when we do that, it actually eases the load of the other. Now, that's a pretty kind of literal way of taking that passage, but I love the idea that it suggests. He actually makes the case for this in a nonfiction kind of theological essay. But in his story, someone is, is really burdened, one of the characters, and someone else comes, a friend, comes to them, hears about it, and they kind of care for them. And in the process of that, it eases the burden on the first one. That's what I think we can do. But we can only do that to the extent that we know each other. Which is why fellowship is so important. It's why that our church shouldn't just be a place that we kind of come by ourselves or we come with our families, but that we kind of come and that we get to know each other. We get to know each other's names, we share a little bit about our lives, and that we pray for one another. And that if someone else is hurting, we hurt with them. And if someone else is celebrating, we celebrate with them. And it's in that kind of camaraderie that we become that, that church, that temple, that I think Peter is talking about. One living stone by itself, one stone by itself, a temple does not make. We need to have that vision like that third stone cutter, that my life and the life that I'm living is not a phenomenon simply unto itself, but it's part of something larger. It's the work that God is doing. It's the work that God is doing through Oasis, and it's the work that God is doing kind of on a larger scale that includes all the churches and maybe even extends past the church. As we mentioned last week, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I have sheep that you know not of. So that Jesus, as he said to Peter, is building his church. And it is our privilege, it is our honor that we are part of that building, that we are part of the work that he's doing. So I encourage you to love one another, to care for one another, to pray for one another, and in doing so, to realize that that is your God-given anointed role as a priesthood in a holy, or as a priest in a holy nation, and that we all kind of share that in common, and that our faithful lives in that way are shaping stones, living stones, that become a part of the kingdom of God. Amen.
0: We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.